Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. go to Psalm 22. So if you would, why don't you turn over to Psalm 22, because I'm going to be referring to it a number of times, and so we might as well go through and read that before we get into John 19. And let's pray. Father, thanks uh, again for all the things that you do in our lives, Lord. Thank you for uh, the answered prayers that uh, we've heard about this evening, and Lord, we pray that you'd answer those prayers that we lifted up to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're real. Thank you, God, that you hear us and that you work in our lives. And God, we thank you for the ultimate work that you've done for us and going to the cross and making a way for us to be right with you and a way for us to be able to enter into your presence, into your glory, and in, in, into everything that heaven is about, Lord, just being with you. And as we talk about the cross this evening, we just pray that you'd have your hand on us, especially on me, that I'd be able to represent you well. And just ask that you do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know that um, Jesus spoke these words when he was on the cross. And most commentators believe that at the point where he spoke those words, that's the point where the sin bearing began. It's not the first words of Christ on the cross, but he did speak these words. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. I want to stop right there and talk about this because I'm not going to be able to get into it in the, in the rest of the study. See the word worm there? It's a specific word in, in Hebrew, and it's talking about a specific worm. When you look at the Old Testament tabernacle, there was a color called scarlet, and you know your translations might have different terms for it. Uh, but it was used in the tabernacle. It represented the blood of Christ and it came from a certain type of worm. And what they would do is they would take this worm and they would dry it and they would crush it. They would obviously kill it. They would crush it. And then from that, they would get the, the dye that they used for this color that was used over and over in the tabernacle. And again, it was to represent the blood of Christ. And so when Jesus says, I am a worm and no man, that's the word that he's using there. And so there's a tie-in to uh, the tabernacle, which includes the whole idea of sacrifice and the work of God in bringing man into a right relationship with him. He says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Those are words that were uttered by people standing around the cross. 
Literally what God's, God's doing here is quoting them a thousand years before they spoke the words. And again, that's a pretty cool thing. By the way, all of Psalm 22 is about a crucifixion from the point of view of the person being crucified. And we'll see that as we go through it. It says, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. That is talking about the priests and the leaders of Israel. A bull is a, is a clean animal. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. And you know how Jesus died, right? So he's on the cross. And after he dies on the cross, after, you know, we're, we'll read the words, he says, it is finished. And then the Bible says he dismissed, literally in Greek, it says he dismissed his spirit. And then the Romans are so um, confused by the fact that he died so quickly, they wanted to make sure that he was dead. And so what they did was they stuck a spear in his side and what came out? Blood and water. And modern physicians will tell you that the reason that happened is because his heart burst. And so literally his heart melted in his body. That's what it would look like. And so the waters in the perineum and, and uh, the pericardial sac and, and that whole thing, and that's why that's happened. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. And that's talking about unclean Gentiles. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he is not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. How's that gonna happen after you're dead? And the reason it's going to happen after Jesus is dead is because he's not gonna stay that way, right? It's an indication of the resurrection. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. That's exactly what's happened throughout history. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Really interesting in Hebrew, that can literally be translated that it is finished. What were the last words of Jesus on the cross? 
It is finished. So it starts off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with, it is finished in, in the Hebrew in this passage. And so there's a number of passages that we're gonna refer to as we're going through John 19 that um, specifically come out of Psalm 22. That's why I wanted to read it to you. By the way, Psalm 22, like I said, is a picture of what happens in crucifixion. And it was a thousand years before the events of Jesus dying on the cross and 500 years before crucifixion was even used, before it was even invented. And so it's one of the coolest prophecies that you have in the Old Testament. Okay, back over to John chapter 19. And we're gonna be talking about Jesus the King on the cross. Uh-huh. That's, it's not really related. It's one of those things where in the 1600s, they, when, the, when the King James was translated, uh, it was about translated right around 1611, 1600 to 1611 right in there. And when it was translated, there's a number of words in Hebrew that they didn't know what the animal was. And so that, that works with animals. There, there's some places where they call something, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember, it's, it's in one of the prophets, but they call it a certain animal. It turns out it was a bird. It, when you're going through the King Jimmy and you run into uh, places where it talks about pillars, things like that, there's, when it's translated more mo modern versions, it's, they're called asherim, that kind of thing. It had to do with the fact that they didn't know what the words meant. And through archaeology and, and that kind of stuff, time, um, we found out what they, what they are. And so you just need to know that when you're reading, right? Yeah, not a problem. So in verse 17, uh, we have Jesus going to the cross. And it says, and he, well, let's, let's go back a, a little bit. Verse 15, it says, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now, let me, um, I'm, I'm just gonna go off right here, <laughs> right, right at the very beginning. So I don't know if we're gonna get finished, but I'm gonna do this anyway. When, when you see the word Golgotha there, that's, that's the word Calvary. And Golgotha means place of the skull, as it says in that passage. And so the church you're going to is Skull Chapel. Okay, so that's, that's what this is. When, it's, when it says the place of a skull, it's really interesting over in Israel right now, there's, there's this argument about where the tomb of, of Joseph was where Jesus was actually buried. And we're gonna find out in this passage that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. He only had it for three days and then, <laughs> and then didn't use it again, right? And so, and it was in a garden. And there is the traditional site, but the traditional site was something that was pointed out by the mother of Constantine. And what she did in the 300s was she went on a trip to Israel and she decided that she was going to build churches in all these sites where certain things happened, okay? And so she went around and she did try to do her homework and she went around and she talked to the locals and stuff and tried to get an idea of where certain things took place. But there's many of them where she's absolutely wrong. She was absolutely wrong on these things. There was a site on, let's see, we're talking east, 
on the western side of the, the city of Jerusalem, the old city, that was pointed out to her to be the site of the tomb of Jesus. By the time she got there, it was pretty much destroyed. And so that could have happened through warfare and things like that, but there's not a recognizable tomb there necessarily. And so that is, when you're talking about the church of the um, Holy Sepulcher, that's that place. Here's the problems with it. Um, one of the problems is that it's on the west side of the city of Jerusalem. There is another set of tombs on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. When we, when we go there, we come down the Mount of Olives, and if you've ever been there, there's a whole bunch of, it's, uh, it's a whole hillside full of Jewish tombs. They're all white and, you know, and that kind of stuff. You could see this, this in pictures. There's a reason it's on the east side, and the reason is because the prevailing winds come from the west. You know, it's just like uh, in, the, in the United States. They go from west to east. It's like that all over the world. And so prevailing winds are coming from the west and Jews are so into cleanliness that they don't want wind passing over the top of a cemetery and coming into a Jewish area. And so that's one of the problems with having a tomb site on the west side of the city of Jerusalem, okay? And so it's the traditional spot. It could be the spot where they buried Jesus and there's a lot of people who go after that and, and, and that kind of thing, okay? Then there's another spot that we go to and that's called Gordon's Calvary. And what's interesting about Gordon's Calvary is that there's literally a place where when you looked at the side of a hill, there was what looked like a skull. So there were the two eye holes and there was a nose hole and there was a mouth hole. And where that, how that came about was when they were building the city of Jerusalem, they had a quarry on the north end of the city of Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is built on a couple of ridges. The main ridge runs through what's called the city of David up to the Temple Mount, goes all the way through the city to the north end. And then it kept going until you got to a peak that is outside of the old city right now and was obviously outside of the old city back then. Okay, and that peak was called Mount Moriah. And that may be familiar to you because Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham took his son Isaac to be sacrificed to the Lord, okay? The Jews believe that where Abraham took Isaac was a place that later on was called the Arana's, um, oh, I'm blanking out. It's a place where they would take wheat and they would throw it up in the wind and threshing floor, the threshing floor of Arana. And so it's a place that David bought to build the temple. At the time that David bought it, it was outside the city of Jerusalem. It was on the north side again of the city of Jerusalem. The problem with Abraham offering his son Isaac there is it's just outside the walls. And so it, just, it would just be a really weird thing. Go to Mount Moriah, go right outside the walls of the Jebusite city of Jerusalem and offer up Isaac as a sacrifice there. No privacy is the point that I'm making where when you're talking about going up to the top of Mount Moriah, which would be the normal situation, you'd be hundreds of yards away at that point. And so most likely Isaac was offered at the top of that place. When they were building the temple, 
that whole ridge is limestone. And so they started digging the limestone out and shipping it downhill to the temple, which makes sense if you're a builder, you don't wanna ship rocks uphill. And so they'd ship them downhill. And when they got down to basically an area where they could have a roadway going both directions, they stopped the quarry and then they went back underneath the city and continued to quarry the stone. And so basically what you have is when, when you're looking at the city of Jerusalem uh, from the east side, there's a ridge that goes up, temples right here. The city continues over here. There's a wall here. Then there's an open space, a gap, so to speak, where there's roads going through right now. And then there's a hill that sits up here. That's the very top of Mount Moriah. And now on top of that is a Muslim cemetery. And right in front of it is an Arab bus station of all things. And right next to that, they found a place that used to be a garden and it has a tomb in it. It was a place of Christian worship and, and uh, uh, there's, there's some cisterns there and that kind of thing. And so they found all these Christian symbols. And so that's called Gordon's Calvary. I like that site. I know about the, the archeology span that's been done there. They've, they've tried to date the tomb and decided that it was later than the time of Christ. And I don't know if, you know, a lot of times when they're doing this stuff, they sound really authoritative. And then years later, they come back and go, oh, well, you didn't know what we were talking about. And so, I, you know, I'm very careful about what I accept as authoritative in a, in a situation like that. Anyway, it fits, all, it fits all the criteria. There would have been a road there that went north to Damascus, um, another road that uh, it would have gone west to, or east to, to Damascus, east and north, another road that went to the west. It, it's a perfect, it's a quarry, it's a perfect spot to have a bunch of guys crucified right there with a backdrop of a hill that looks like a skull. Uh, the Bible never teaches that Jesus died on a hill. The Bible teaches that he died outside the city of Jerusalem. And what's cool about that is that hill that's in the backdrop would be the place where Isaac was offered up as a sacrifice. It's the, it's the same place where Abraham would have offer, offered Isaac, which is something that was prophesied in Genesis chapter 22. And so very cool stuff. In any case, there's a reason it was called Golgotha. And the reason it was called Golgotha is most likely because when they were quarrying, limestone has, it has a tendency to, to leave holes. And when they were quarrying, they left, a, you know, they left an impression there that made it look like a skull. I think it's really appropriate to, well, not appropriate, but I think it's really kind of telling that if, that if that is the place where Jesus was crucified and not too far away is the place where, where Jesus was buried within, you know, probably 50 yards, the place where Jesus was buried, if that's the case, what you have is the site of Jesus's death is covered by an Arab bus station. That's how people have always treated Jesus. It's like, no respect, no honoring, no even acknowledgement. I think, I think it's, it's really telling. In any case, that's Golgotha. So um, there, you probably learned more than you wanted to. So they took him to the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, 
but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I've written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was an undergarment. The tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, um, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Okay, let me go through and, and, and pick this up. One of the things I want to do is I want to just kind of stay in John, but I did want to make a point of the very first words of Jesus from the cross. You know what they were? They were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in Luke 23, 34, that's where this is quoted. It says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. It's then. And it's the idea of after all these things. And what are all the things? And all the things are the phony trials. There were four of them, illegal. They were carried out during the night. You never had a trial uh, in Israel that took place during the night. There were illegal beatings. There was mocking. There was the scourging. There was the carrying of the cross uh, and the humiliation that Jesus would have uh, taken going through the streets. Finally, Jesus is stripped when, when I was telling you that, that that garment, that tunic is an undergarment, it means it's his underwear that they wanted to keep whole. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross naked. And so that's never shown in movies and you know, obviously you know why. But in any case, it was the utter humiliation of the son of God on the cross. Um, they stripped him, they put nails through his hands and feet, and then they picked him up picked up that cross and they plopped it into a hole and you can imagine hanging from a cross with nails through your hands and feet, the feeling that you would get when that, when that post hit the bottom of the hole, right? And it's at that point that Jesus said, it's then that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. After they'd done their worst to Jesus, Jesus asked for forgiveness for the men who were doing it, specifically the Gentiles that were doing this, the Romans. And obviously, Jesus could have done anything that he wanted in that situation. If he got tired of the whole thing, Jesus had told um, Peter that he could call 12 legions of angels. He could have wiped out the planet if he wanted to at that point, and he didn't do it. And what he did was he asked for forgiveness for those who had no idea what was going on. I, I think that that's um, actually a pretty cool thing. I think that that's the way that we need to treat people who have no idea what's going on with the Bible, what's going on with who Jesus is, what's going on with religion. Um, they, don't, they don't know Jesus. And the only difference between me and them is the fact that they don't have Christ in their lives. And so what do you expect an unbeliever to do? I mean, like seriously. When you're looking at unbelievers, it's, it's amazing to me that they go through life and they have any kind of moral foundation at all. Because why would you? If I really believed what I'd been taught in school, I would be somebody who believed that when I died, I just ceased to exist. I would, I would believe that the only life that I'm ever gonna have is the one that I have right now. 
the only rewards, the only pleasure that I'm ever going to get is what I'm going to get right now. Why in the world would I put off pleasure? Why, why in the world would I put off, put off getting things? You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.